Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card. Because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Why do the Timberwolves keep losing their halftime leads? How has the transition to Coach Thibodeau been going? Will the team get worse before it gets better? The only question left is, say it with me, you win? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am pleased to have on... Steve McPherson, who is a writer for Rolling Stone, contributor to 1500 ESPN in the Twin Cities, and also uh, is part of the the Illuminati of Wolf WolfAmongWolves.com. It's kind uh, of an Illuminati. Yeah, well, no triangle shapes, but certainly you know <laughs> power, right? Well, well, Thibodeau brought the, he's trying to bring the triangle shapes in, right? So yes, he is. You know what? <laughs> and speaking of that, I have uh, in my in my cursory glancing at their offense, there is some triangle going on. Have you seen it? Sure. Too? Yes, yes. I mean, it comes out when it, when it can, uh, which it's still a work in progress, obviously. <laughs> it's hiding under the bed, <laughs> waiting, for <laughs> right. to, waiting for the lightning to strike and the thunder, and then, boom. Uh, somebody with a, which reminds me, there's somebody on Twitter that has one of those scary clown faces as their AVI and just freaked me out. And I spent time on his timeline, and it was all, like, scary clown stuff. And uh, <laughs> So, hopefully, the, uh, the, the, the triangle offense isn't as scary to the uh, players. But what is scary, and we should talk about to begin with, is the third quarters of games. Um, I'm going to throw this out there to you because I'm looking it up right now as far as uh, you know advanced statistics, which we all know and love. Um, mm-hmm. The starters in the first half are a net rating of, uh, let's see here, uh, 8.2, which isn't extraordinary, but it's not bad. It's certainly a winning column. Um, right. But when you move over to the third quarter alone, those same starters are a negative 25.1 net rating. That seems bad. That seems score. bad. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> so how, what, can you explain this to me? Well, it, you know, I think when the season started, there was definitely a, a, a bunch of third quarters that were really bad. Uh, I think at one point their net rating in the third quarter, this was this is a while ago now, but it was like much worse than that. It was the team's net rating was something like negative 34. Uh, and especially if you took out the one win they had against, against the Grizzlies early, it dropped to like negative 58 or something. It was 
It was atrocious. Um, I think in the last couple games, uh, it, it isn't the third quarter, but it has moved into other quarters. They had an atrocious fourth quarter, and then the last two games they've had atrocious second quarters. Um, it's it, to me, I think. I mean, there's a lot of root causes of it. There's a lot of things you can look at uh, overall with this team that are problematic. Uh, I think the thing that people come back to is the youth of the team. Uh, I think that is expressed most clearly in just a high variance of how well they're performing. Uh, you've seen them blow teams out in the first and second quarters when this team is firing on all cylinders and everybody's doing their job and the ball is moving. It's very attractive basketball. It's very fun. It's great to see uh, Towns and Wiggins and Levine, you know, really unleash their talents in a lot of ways. I think when things start going south, they go south really fast. I think you just see there's not a guy out there who's sort of the consistent veteran presence who can sort of calm everything down, maybe doesn't get as high on the highs, doesn't get as low on the lows. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's sort of at the root of how you start to turn this thing around. So uh, I guess what you're saying is that Thibodeau has lost more hair uh, this year than he has in other years. I'm amazed that he still has it. Like, if you watch him, like I said in press row, and so I can see him close up. He he has like the least amount of hair of any person who has hair. Like, he's not bald or balding really even, but it's very thin, and I think he has pulled out a lot of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that you know, so Ricky Rubio is is sort of the antithesis of that young group. I mean, he's still young, but he seems to have a floor game that would translate to calming everybody down. Let's get a good shot here. Let's not turn it over. Um, I suppose, is he outnumbered three to one? Is that what's going on? Well, I think it's it's a couple of things with Rubio. One is that he is a veteran. He's obviously been in the league for a number of years, but those have been very frustrating years. I mean, he is dealing with his I think the, the the he's never had a coach for more than two years, uh, except for Adelman early on. He was injured for a bunch of that, you know, that first season. So, you know, he's basically had and he's the, one of the long, longest tenured Wolves right now, if not the longest. I'm not sure at this point if you count Nikola Pekovic is still on the team. But um, but basically, you know, he's been a, he's a vet, but he hasn't had the same system to deal with uh, for two years in a row uh, so far. And I think that with uh, Thibodeau. I was concerned that Thibodeau coming in, his system wasn't sort of gauged toward uh, the kind of point guard who Rubio is. Uh, And I was interested to see if Thibodeau was going to make shifts in that to try to sort of unlock that. He hasn't really seemed to do that. Uh, And so Rubio is not getting to do a lot of what he's naturally good at. And when you take him out of that, his he's fine. Like he's not terrible, but it's hard for him to be a big influence on the game when his, his job is largely to bring the ball up, tell everybody what the play is and, and then throw it to somebody else. And then occasionally he gets the ball back at which time he often shoots a spot of jumper or something like that. He's not running the pick and roll. I think I, I was talking to Zach Harper this week and I think they're, they're in the bottom five of number of pick and rolls run uh, this season for any team. Uh, so that's, that's not great on defense. You know, he's, he's a, a creator of chaos on defense. He gets a lot of strips and poke steals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wolves are switching a lot, which means that he's often not having to follow a guy through a screen or get that sort of poke from behind steal. He's often moving on to somebody else. And so I think he has, and his defense has gotten a little better. He had an early elbow injury. And I think maybe that, that he's still, he's still sort of coming back from that. He, his numbers look bad right now. I think they will probably get better, but I think the basic fact is, is that, with Thibodeau doing what he does and unlikely to change, Rubio is not going to look like the Rubio we're used to seeing. He might not be bad, but I think it's hard for him to sort of take control of the team on the floor when he can't unlock his sort of natural gifts. 
What's interesting about that, though, is that Thibodeau had been this point guard whisperer for several years where they'd bring in these sort of nomads uh, like DJ Augustine, and then they all suddenly look like real starters and at the point guard position. So, And you're talking about him running the triangle, which you know we had estimated around 20% of the time. So it wasn't getting in the way. And the one thing I guess I'm trying to think in my mind's eye about, uh, it was like Nate Robinson one year. It was crazy, I think. And then it was Augustine. There's, I'm missing at least two other guys. It was, so it wasn't the fluke. Um, yeah, but Aaron the, Brooks, C.J. Watson. There you yeah, go. thank you. And uh, but you know what? I guess the difference could very well be that they they shot the three or yeah. they had that ability to shoot the three. By the way, I did see Ricky Rubio catch and shoot a, uh, a 17 foot jumper, and he made it on the left side uh, in like a steel transition, something you know, whatever. Uh, is that jump shot getting any more closer to being unbroken? Mm, I would say no. I mean, he's willing to shoot uh, jumpers. He's made a couple corner threes. Uh, you know, he's made some some pull up shots uh, with given enough time. His shot is pretty decent. Uh, it's very slow and it's very flat. So when he has enough time, he gets it to be a little bit less flat when he's quick, when he's being closed out on. He shoots too fast and it's a lot, a lot flatter. Um, so I don't think that's the answer. I think that's part of the problem is that Thibodeau likes a shooter. And if you look at all those 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 guards we just mentioned. Yeah, they're not, you know, ideal point guards, but they fit with Thibodeau because they were all shooters. Uh, even if, I mean, more of a scorer, but Derrick Rose also uh, is is certainly a very different kind of point guard than Ricky Rubio is. So, uh, again, I just think it's, you know, Rubio is a, is a good point guard. I think he has a place in the league. I just think that he's just not going to be a, an overall plus so long as he's not getting to do the stuff that he's good at. Okay, so now I guess what, what you're saying is, well, so I guess the question is, when is he going to get traded? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think that depends a lot on what Thibodeau thinks he needs and what Thibodeau um, and what other people want to give him. Uh, I, I think that a huge question about that is how comfortable he feels with Dunn and Jones. Uh, Dunn is doesn't seem to be ready to be a starter right now, and he also suffers from some of the same problems as Rubio as far as not really being a shooting, uh, not being a shooter. He's maybe supposed to be a little bit better of a scorer, but we haven't really gotten to see that yet. Jones is uh, good at running the floor. Um, he's a good point guard from that. He, he's he's really pulled their bacon out of the fire a couple times in the last several games. And Thibodeau's actually been playing him in the fourth quite a bit in that role. He can shoot pretty well, uh, but he's undersized. He's slow. Uh, I mean, he's smart and he's got guts. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, everybody says he knows how to win. And it's, you know, again, it's one of those ineffable things that's not going to show up in a lot of box scores. But he does seem to have sort of uh, sort of what I would say a mien about him that says, I am comfortable with taking this on right now. Uh, but can a guy who's barely six feet really like start in the NBA consistently at, at the point guard position if he's not an amazing physical specimen? You know, he doesn't have a great handle. He's not quick, any of those things. So uh, so if that's the case and they're trying to get a point guard back, you know, how do you who wants Rubio who already has a point guard? Uh, if you're if they look to fix some other things on the team, um, I think they really need rim defense. Uh, I think Towns has been pretty bad, even though he's supposed to be good. Jeng has been pretty bad, even though his reputation is being pretty good. Uh, it, I mean, it seems like a natural fit if you're looking for one of those like dogs, like a vet who knows what they're doing to put him at the power forward position as a guy who's who knows what to do and can defend. A guy like Taj Gibson, obviously, as a Tibbs guy, would be great, but I don't see Chicago giving him up. So. Uh, so as always the trades, I feel like it depends a lot on who's available. If something changes for another team that changes things for a whole bunch of other teams, it's all this interactive, 
you know, web of what different teams need and who's decided to, to throw away the season and who's decided they're pushing for the playoffs and then what they're going to need to do that. Somebody who doesn't need a good backup point guard who's a contender right now might suddenly need a Rubio to come off the bench for them at some point uh, in the season as they're looking toward the playoffs. Uh, but he could he could he could last out the year. Also, again, I don't think it's like he's a negative. I don't think he's taking away from the team, but um, I don't think the problem there is what's holding them back necessarily. But it is a point where I think if the right move comes up, then it could be made before the end of the season or before okay. the trade deadline. For sure. Now, the, the the rule I have with guys like Tyus Jones is uh, you need to look older than twenty before you can start. In a game. Mm-hmm. I think was, <laughs> right, you know, his facial hair has gone through some interesting morphs, though, because originally he just had the chin strap yeah. and no mustache, and now then he sort of like trimmed the chin strap down, and he sort of almost just had a mustache, and it looked really weird. Like okay. he kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like an '80s look. So maybe he did look a little bit older, uh, but he's definitely still very youthful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the way, so like last year, uh, when he, wait, is he? He's not. He played last year too, right? Am I yeah, crazy? Yeah, yeah. So last year he looked about 16, and now he's yes. getting closer to you know 19 ish. By the way, Devin Booker was also the, the poster boy for that, oh, and yet yeah. he did really well last year. So, um, but like True. Austin Rivers is a good example of a kid who he just still looks like he's barely twenty. And yeah. uh, you know, I think you got to just have that look about you before you can really do well. But are you ready for the trade? It just hit me. Um, here's what okay. they should do. Hit me it up. It should be Wall for Rubio. Okay, now I have been playing around the trade machine, which is a very dangerous thing. Um, I feel like it relates somewhat to our some current political landscape stuff where you start with sort of an, a notion towards fun. And then you look at the trade longer and longer and you're like, this looks, this might happen. And then you've just convinced yourself into something ridiculous. So um, I, I went a step uh, further than that and an engineer to trade for uh, DeMarcus Cousins and Wall to get them both to Minnesota since they want to play together. You know, we've, we've heard these rumors, okay. uh, which would involve, you know, sending away Rubio and also sending away Wiggins, uh, which is a whole different issue. But, you know, then you'd be looking at and then getting Caspi back as well from the King. So then you'd be looking at Wall, Levine, Caspi, Towns and Cousins. Um, so I think we should make it happen. But, uh, I, you know, it, <laughs> it's interesting. I think Wall would be great with Thibodeau. Uh, you know, he's he's not necessarily a shooter shooter, but he's a scorer. He's fast. He's great with the ball. He's underrated in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I think putting him alongside, you know, at least two thirds of this young core they have, it would be great. Right. I mean, I, I, the way I look at it is, you know, the, it's more about, um, oh, I didn't. I, I'm that guy. Wow. Not muting your phone. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, hey, if Simmons can leave his phone on, I can leave my phone on. Right? Yeah, there you go. Um, so uh, the thing is, and, you know, I've now it's completely gone. Um, what I was going to tell you about that. Oh, about Wall and about Washington is that it's like, yeah, it, it seems clear that, you know, it's just not going to happen uh, with the way it's presently constructed. So, yeah, it's like where can they – what can they do? It's going to end up being Wall, um, you know. And But, again, you're right. I'm kind of looking up Wall right now because – he must shoot better than Rubio uh, from three, right? Or am I crazy? Let's see. I would. My guess would be yes over the course of his career. You know what? He's shooting a career high, uh, you know, thirty-seven percent if we round up. So um, yeah. that's a that's a you know, and he's taken three and a half a, a game this year. So yeah. that's a, that's a significant upgrade there, which would be enough for I think you know Thibodeau's liking, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think that the the question about with the Wizards and this the situation of at what point does you know some player's relationship to the team when does it simply run its course and it's not a question of fixing it I mean I think like any human relationship 
you know, there are mechanical things you can do to try to make things work between, you know, two entities. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're just past a point where like the belief is gone, the sort of the feeling of like the trust or the faith or something like that is, is, is sort of is sort of gone away. And so at that point, it's not really like, oh, well, you know, Thibodeau should change to, to suit what Rubio's needs are or the wizard should try to figure out how to build around wall. It might just be better to say, like, both these guys can – I mean, Wall is obviously great. I think Rubio can be better than he's been. Um, maybe they just need a different place to try this in and just get a fresh start. Um, are you a marriage counselor as well? <laughs> I mean, I am I am married uh, <laughs> and I like to think pretty successfully. So – but I don't know. I think – you know, I think that there's – I do think there are things like that, that there are just human – the more – you know, the, when I got into covering basketball, I was like I, I watched the game. Uh, I was curious about the analytics and the X's and O's. I, you know, I learned some stuff on that point. I'm no math guy, so I can't really do the deep dive into analytics, but I respect them and I, and I think they're often useful. Um, the more that I, of time that I've spent actually covering a team and being in a locker room and like talking to players and interviewing guys, I mean, there are just these human elements that, you know, maybe someday we learn more about things like chemistry and, and, and how that works on the court. But there's just, you know, there's just a way people interact with each other and some of that stuff it's a little intractable and it's a little hard to measure, but it has to be respected. Right. And it's funny because as you mentioned, analytics, you we're kind of losing that connection of the human interaction and the human chemistry that it, it, it exists between teammates. And I kind of hope that we're moving more in the direction of, of, you know, it's kind of like, I, I say this all the time. So if anyone listening to my podcast will know, but you know, when you, when you go, when you go to medical school, they don't just teach you how to do the medicine. They actually have bedside manner training as well. Right. Yeah, and yet they don't do that with like coaching, for instance, or in the front office necessarily. Sure. Now, some sure. of the front office guys have all the wonderlick tests and all that stuff, but but um, you know, there's there is that sort of alchemy that exists there. That you know, I feel like there's too many teams that sort of ignore that and just sort of you know let's throw this stuff together because somewhere deep down on some scribbled piece of paper it might work. Yeah, I think if you if you look at a guy like like Popovich, when Popovich talks about the players that he looks for for the Spurs, um, I mean, I'm certain that there's a lot of analytics that go into looking at looking at these guys. You know, like I know, I'm I'm sure there is, but you know, he says, you know, he talks a lot about high character guys and not in a kind of like, and not in a sort of oh these guys are warriors or they're tough, but just like are you an honest human being? Uh, can you take a joke? Can you be serious and focused when you need to be? But can you also, you know, pick your teammates up when they're down? I mean, that's the kind of stuff he talks about. And I think a lot of that stuff is it gets at some of the stuff that that some things having to do with analytics, you know, in terms of efficiency and guys giving up the ball to each other and keeping the ball moving, moving. I think those things come out of some of those character traits as well. But I think that, like, you know, it sort of comes up when you're looking at things like um, Stan Van Gundy and the sort of four out system that he had with the magic. And how he wasn't like going combing through analytics and being like, this is how we solve basketball. He just had this sort of from a lot of experience and sort of developed the notion that this would work. And it did. And then the analytics sort of bear it out. And so I think sometimes there's those guys like Pop and, and, and Van Gundy who are sort of ahead of the curve because they're just seeing things that because they have great, a great sort of, you know, sort of innate perception and experience with it that is then borne out by analytics. So maybe eventually, I mean, there's talk about, you know, if you're measuring things like heart rate, pupil dilation, like all this stuff with guys, you can sort of figure out who like what their what their uh sort of emotional connection to different people on the team is it seems a little a it seems a little invasive 
Um, <laughs> B, it's kind of creepy. I mean, I guess those, are, those two things go hand in hand. But, you know, like that stuff is, maybe eventually will be out there. But I think right now you can still see that stuff and perceive that stuff if you pay close enough attention. For sure. And then it comes up in the Sam Mitchell uh, context where, uh, you know, he was pretty candid in a couple of those interviews we saw uh, last year. And what I got from that with my, my coaching eye is that there was a sense of frustration borne out on the players for perhaps not knowing the fundamentals that he knew when he came out of college, for instance. Right. And, like, and, 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 and so that frustration would come out and they would sense that and probably close down more and be less willing to understand or want to learn that as opposed to the excitement of showing somebody something for the first time. Like this is like watching mm-hmm. Willy Wonka for the first time. This is amazing. I'm going to show you how to do a left foot pivot out of the post and attack the middle. Like, you know, and yeah. I feel like that kind of is that notion and that kind of coaching uh, philosophy going away. I mean, are we now with younger coaches and newer ideas? Is that do you feel like that's going to change, too? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting because the, I feel like the coaching part of it. Uh, it is changing slower than the players are changing. Maybe that's just natural because coaches, coaches who are there, you see a lot of retreads, you see guys rehired and things like that. Um, Players move through the system a lot quicker. Um, It has been interesting to watch, you know, Mitchell versus Thibodeau and this, and again, we just get this little slice of the press conference afterward or the availability beforehand. But Mitchell did seem like he spent a lot of time, unhappy that he was there doing that job. Um, and in, in fairness, you know, it was sort of thrust upon him. Uh, you know, he didn't have a lot of control over that. Uh, he hadn't built the roster. Uh, you know, he was there to help. But uh, and then he was also trying to coach for his job if he wanted to keep that job, whereas Thibodeau has the security of, a, you know, a five year contract right now. So, you know, Thibodeau constantly emphasizes the work uh, and that but not in a way that makes it feel like he thinks these players don't know what they're doing. I think sometimes he gets frustrated with them not learning lessons they're supposed to learn. But I got to there was you know there's an availability a while ago that I showed up for that I I think I was talking to Zach Levine about something. But while I was waiting for him, uh, I was watching Thibodeau work with Wiggins uh, on the floor about sort of catching the pass you know around the elbow extended and. And then, you know, going around into the middle of the paint and, and shooting sort of a floater, basically. And uh, you could just watch Thibodeau watching it. He would let him do a couple reps. He would come over and talk to him about it. Uh, uh, they would sort of shift things up. They would switch sides. Watching that stuff is fascinating and fun. I mean, even if I gleaned no particular insight from it, it does give you a different sense of Thibodeau as opposed to just the yelling on the side of the court. <laughs> Thibodeau, right. you know, so like there's always going to be different approaches it's fun to watch like luke walton's approach he's obviously a young guy in la who's got them all you know playing above their heads right now um you know every coach is sort of unique and and different i think it's very hard to sort of paint with a broad brush the direction that that coaches are going when there's only you know 30 of them in the league and that's a very small sample size for anything right right well are there any other things that stand out to you um on the top of your head uh between what mitchell did and thibodeau anything else style or you know anything dramatic i mean overall one of the first things about this team was that it just seemed like they had there was more of a direction and a plan and an overarching goal of what they wanted to get out of every possession with Thibodeau than there was with Mitchell. Um, a lot of times with Mitchell, it just sort of felt like, you know, Mitchell sort of came from that school of which Saunders was also in, which was an open shot is a good shot. And there wasn't as much thought about, you know, the three pointers or going for three pointers. Um, Mitchell was Mitchell and, and Flip were both always like, hey, if they're open, take them. You know, like we don't hate three pointers, but it seems like Thibodeau was much more intent on making sure that. The, the, the stuff they're running 
has an option that leads to an open three-pointer. Okay. Uh, they're obviously shooting a lot more three-pointers uh, this season than they have before. For a while, they were they were like the best team in the league at shooting three-pointers, <laughs> which is like I think Andrew Wiggins was the best three-point shooter percentage-wise in the league for a couple weeks there. So, uh, you know, I think that you see the, the sort of scaffolding of more of a system. I think that it's broken down a little bit because I think that Thibodeau is trying to emphasize defense and focus on that end of the ball. So um, it's not that part of it is not working so far. Uh, but every once in a while, you see a good rotation. You see like responsibility happen. You see them sort of, you know, clicking on all cylinders. And then you get to watch Towns do something, you know, amazing, like just taking the ball off the dribble from the three point line and a couple steps and dunking it. You know, it's he's amazing to watch. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's a little hard to perceive too much of a stylistic difference yet simply because it, it, there hasn't been that much time yet. And the team is still obviously in, in, in development right now, but it's, I'm hoping that it's going to be fun to watch them come together, even if it's not tremendously fun for people right now. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is that when he took over the bulls, I don't think, you know, they were decent the year before Vinny had had them for a couple of years and they were, he, you know, Thibodeau was exactly what they needed then like structure and some, you know, someone to push them. Um, they instantly became a top defensive club. Like, it was overnight. And so the question then is, is so I, I had assumed that, like, that's some sort of replicable magic that he could do again. Sure. Um, now, you had actually mentioned Taj Gibson. When you think about those teams, you had guys like Omer Ashik playing, like, you know, you don't recognize him now, but he did play much better back then. And you had Taj yeah. Gibson. And it, granted, you had Carlos Boozer, too, but perhaps is that the difference is that they had some grizzled veteran ish kind of people, even though Taj wasn't necessarily that, but he was a four year player and was like 26 or something when he came out of college. So I, I, that's my interesting question is like, what didn't happen? You know, did Tim's not like go back through his notes and and teach it the same way or what, what do you think is happening on the defensive end? You know, I mean, I think that the youth really is a thing. I, it's not its not fun to say because it, you can't really – I mean, it's one of those problems where you're like, yeah, it would be great if they were all two years older right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but that's not going to happen. Uh, I, another guy at a Wolf Among Wolves, Patrick Johnson, did a great post where he was looking at – other teams that had started three guys, you know, tw- under 22, basically, uh, in the last, I think it was like 16, 17 years, basically since 99, 2000. And there's only five of them. And their average win total was something like 23.8 wins or something. Like they were, it's, it's not, a, I mean, I think the peak, and I can't remember which team it was now, but it was like 33 wins. The bottom. Bottom was like 10, which was for the Sixers. So, um, and that was obviously a little bit of an outlier, but a lot of them are in that mid 20s range. And this team already did better than that, you know, last year with, you know, an even younger cast, but they're still just, you know, really young. I, I think that, I think that I wouldn't say that the, the hype didn't exactly get to them, but I think that you, if you look at Towns, he said a lot of stuff about putting the team on his shoulders and he wants responsibility. On the one hand, and you want your, you know, your sort of franchise player to take that responsibility. But then on the other hand, I mean, I don't want it to become this crushing weight that he can't, you know, get out from under where he takes way, way too much on internally to deal with. Um, I think that they might have to bottom out in some sense, sort of get through their feeling that like they should have been better than they are. And then they just need to start playing basketball again. It might be one of those things where they really have to sort of fully crash out. And every time they have a bad game, I'm sure every T-Wolves fan is like, this is it. This is the crash. This is the end of this. But uh, but I don't know. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say what that is. I think that they did start feeling like they were supposed to be better than they are. But it's very hard to play like we're better than this. I just feel like that's a hard place to come from. I think you need to back it all the way back out to let's just play. 
you know, and then and then and then play naturally and play in the flow and not tighten up. They definitely tighten up a lot. Um, I don't know if it's Town saying he has to do everything. Like, I wonder if that's not one of these things where like we could say, hey, maybe just work on the defensive end of things and not worry so much about trying to carry the team on offense. So, uh, I, I mean, I wanted to get I wanted to get better, but uh, I don't know if it gets better immediately unless they do make some kind of a move for you know, a veteran. And then, and then I think the question is, is that move for a veteran, a win now move, which is, I don't think is necessarily smart. Or is it really like a, this is the developmental piece. Like we need a guy who develops those guys. So it's going to be hard to say, even if a move like that happens, but I do have a lot of faith in Thibodeau overall. It's, we just got started with this. So, huh. right. Well, you know, you went from a marriage counselor. Now you sound like a 12 step counselor um, <laughs> and, and to bottoming out. Right. And there is no incentive. I think this year with, you know, with the Clippers and the Warriors and the uh, Spurs, it just, there's no reason to try and do that veteran move. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're right. Uh, and the, by the way, speaking of putting the, the team on their back, I mean, what was the main takeaway you got from, you know, the Knicks game with uh, Towns versus Porzingis? Uh, that was really fun. Uh, I mean, Porzingis is 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 a ton of fun. He's 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 great to watch. He's he's so unusual to watch. I mean, even, you know, I saw Embiid also. Uh, I didn't I wasn't at the Knicks game, but uh, I, I, I did see the, the 76ers game against Embiid. And it's one of those things where you look at Towns. Towns is a huge guy. Like I, I interviewed him. I did a thing on him before his rookie season where he was getting fitted for a suit. It was for um, Minneapolis St. Paul magazine. And so I actually got to sit down with him. And the whole time I'm talking to him, I just couldn't stop looking at his feet. Like his feet are just gigantic, right? And he's a giant guy. And then he's next to Embiid. And you're like, well, you don't, you kind of look like a, a point guard now. <laughs> and Porzingis has some of that same quality. Like he's just so gangly and rangy. Um, I, I mean, I think that's the, I think it's, it's interesting. And a couple of people have pointed out that, you know, following right on the heels of everyone saying like, we got small ball, you know, small ball. People, teams are going small. We've got this crop of centers who look amazing uh, and do a lot of, I think Kevin Arnovitz had a thing about this, but you know, if you can do the small ball things like passing and shooting and taking people off the dribble, but you're also happen to be six ten to seven foot three, like so much the better. So I hope that's you know, I, I dream of a future in which we get, you know, playoff matchups between, you know, Porzingis and and uh and Embiid and then Porzingis and Towns. It would be that would be amazing. Well, you know, I tweeted this out yesterday and what made me uh, uh frustrated, I, I said it makes me sad because <clears throat> the the idea that that becomes commonplace of a seven footer breaking a guy down with a crossover or whatever, you know, we we might not have as much awe about that. And sure. I don't want to lose. <laughs> I'm losing my voice. Whoever, <laughs> I don't want to lose my awe for uh, over that. And I think I'm going to because these guys are going to freaking do it every freaking night, five times a game. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, right. So what? Like you know, he's another seven footer. He can now look like a guard. That that just it almost frustrates me. But yeah. you know what we have to get get away from is I think LeBron has set this weird precedent where he doesn't doesn't really ever guard anybody anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so we don't get that. Like, I mean, maybe if we're lucky, we'll get LeBron versus Durant in the finals. But like, I don't know. Like, did you see the, the Bucks game against the Cavaliers the other night? Uh, I caught part of it. So, you know, we saw Giannis go at him and like take him down low in the post. And I don't remember the last time I saw anybody try to do that. And you could see LeBron actually be confused a little bit. Like, this isn't <laughs> supposed to happen. Didn't you get the memo? And, right. and, I, and I, you know, I'm not a LeBron hater. I mean, I, I listen, anybody I point out of some, you know, footwork issue, I'm also a hater. But I don't know about you, but I love to see 
guys like that who've been around and kind of not like coasting, but they, they've had their position. And then here comes a young kid who's coming up and is going to show him, oh, hey, I can compete. And I just, you know, I pray we can continue to get that. Now, as far yeah. as the, the, the Towns thing on, you know, on the, against the Knicks, I mean, that was a good example of him putting a team on the back and, and actually carrying them, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, he, he is capable of doing it. I mean, that's the thing is that, I mean, he can totally take that weight. And I think that certainly, I mean, within a couple of years, he's going to be relied on to take that weight on. But I think that, you know, right now, I just sort of feel like when he tries to do it and it's not working, he can sort of see him being like, damn it, I should be better. Like, he gets kind of angry and tight and sort of, you know, and I, I just think that he starts he starts pressing a lot as opposed to sort of backing off and saying, like, you got this. I mean, one thing you saw is that, I mean, he likes to shoot. He likes to shoot, and he's a good shooter, and he's willing to take that three point shot. And it's it's occasionally a good idea, but sometimes I think it's like when the team is down, he's sort of like, "I'm going to shoot a three and get us back into this." And I feel like he's. I mean, when you look at his post moves, like some of them are just gorgeous. Like his footwork is really good, and it's only going to get better. Uh, I feel like. You know, Mitchell definitely tried to emphasize with him working on the post moves down low first before he was going to let him shoot a bunch of jumpers. Um, and, you know, as much as I want to see the team shoot more three-pointers, I can kind of agree with that approach that says, let's, you know, let's lock it down in the post. You can be a threat down there. And then that opens up the outside for other guys. It'll also open up the outside more for him. For him. Uh, so, you know, I think his, his evolution is going to be interesting to watch. And I think he should be able to put the team on his back eventually. And then from time to time, you know, he certainly can, as he showed in the, in the next game. Um, but, you know, I think he just might he just might be better served by sometimes like relax, relax, just chilling out a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, it's legal in California now. So, you know, right. I don't know if it's in Minnesota, but uh, <laughs> that yet. might help too. Um, so at any rate, uh, well, that this is all fantastic stuff. I feel like just to wrap up real quick, uh, we didn't mention Levine too much. Um, mm. You know, is he, is he the answer? Is, it, is he a two guard? Is he the guy that should be playing that way more? And is he going to be the guy who's going to be on the team even by the end of the year? I, I like Levine a lot. Um, I think in some ways, like one thing I've, I've said a lot is that uh, leaving Towns out of it for now, but if you're just looking at Wiggins and Levine, like Wiggins probably has a higher ceiling, potential ceiling uh, than Levine does, but Levine's a lot closer to his ceiling right now than Wiggins is. Like I think that Levine is quickly developing into, you know, this is he's going to get better, but what we're seeing is sort of a lot of offense, uh, great spark, really good shooter. Uh, he's gotten a lot better at going of the basket. I mean, we all saw that ridiculous donkey <laughs> he threw down, which was uh, online, which was great. Uh, and he's aside from that, though, he's also become sneakily good at getting in layups around contact, you know, like drawing the foul, but making the shot. If he does that, if he forces the issue physically and then can also shoot the three pointer, um, if he can just sort of develop a net neutral defensive game, I think he can be a tremendously useful shooting guard on a team that features a guy like Towns and features a guy like Wiggins, uh, who are going to be maybe hopefully a little more balanced as two way players, because not everybody has to do everything both ways. If you've got a guy who's a reliable offensive threat and then he's just fine on defense then I think that's a good – that's something that you're going to need uh, as you get into the playoffs when you need to get buckets. So I like, I like him a lot. Yeah, and you're right. And I'm actually looking at – just glancing at his stats, I, I kind of didn't realize he's up to 20 points a game and, uh, and yeah. he's shooting well. I mean that's you know that's great. And I always felt like he'd be much better as a shooting guard anyway. So, oh, yeah. He's you know. absolutely – I mean he's really always been a shooting guard. I think the whole point guard thing was really more – because I, I think one thing about him is that he's, he's not um, – he's not like a low IQ guy or a low IQ basketball player. I just think he didn't have a lot of familiarity with what 
everybody was supposed to be doing all the time on the team. And I think they sort of saw that that sense of putting him in a point guard when they already knew that the season wasn't going to go their way um, gave him a chance to sort of run the team and then understand what he should be doing in his role when he moves off the ball. And I think and he said some of that stuff. And I think, you know, the, the coaching staff said stuff like that. And I think it ended up really being true. I don't think they were trying to turn him into a point guard. I think they were trying to make him a secondary playmaker and that it would help him understand his role uh, off the ball. And I think it's I think it's worked out pretty well overall. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a terrific role and the pieces are there. And so I think it's just a matter of time. Like you said, uh, what do you think is going to happen by the end of the year? Are they going to kind of get, you know, get this turned around a little bit and start winning some more games? I, I do. I mean, I, Thibodeau has said that um, if they can turn it around, it could be a quick turnaround. This isn't like some other team, some other Wolves teams we've we've had that have been bad. And it's just felt like an uphill slog the whole time. Some of the things they're not getting are conceptual things. I think if the defense can come together, it's because they feel comfortable enough with their offense that they, you know, these young guys, because young guys are always going to, I mean, most of the time are going to focus on their offense, right? right? If they can get comfortable with their offense and maybe they can exert a little more, you know, of their energy on the defensive end, they can suddenly pick up, they can hit some streaks. I mean, we've seen them that when they're playing well, it, like, again, they seem to always have this one bad quarter in a game, but when they're on, they look terrific. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they just look terrific. So if they can do that more consistently, if they can look terrific and then just okay, rather than terrific and atrocious, right. then I think they can rattle off some win streaks and things like that. I mean, I said before the season, I think I think the Vegas line on them was 41 and a half wins. And, uh, you know, we talked to, I've talked to people about somewhere in that 38 to 42. So getting up to 500. But I never thought they were going to necessarily make the playoffs unless they like looked amazing for some reason immediately. So this is about in line with where I thought they would be. I still sort of feel comfortable putting them in that 38 to 42 win range. Sure. Well, you know, their overall net rating is negative 0.9. So almost yeah. zero. And that's probably the highest neg- net uh, net rating you'll see of a team that's 5-13. and 13. You yeah. know, Normally, it, you it, think it would be a lot worse. Yeah, they were they were interesting early on because I can't remember how – I can't remember when I looked at this. It maintained for a while. They were the only team who had – they had a positive net rating for a while and, and were the only one who weren't above 500 who had a positive net rating. So, um, I, I mean, I think one of the problems with that for the, the, the local fans is that it's so reminiscent of that 13-14 team that had a great – net rating and a great uh this, this was adelman's like last year basically so when they had love and pekovic and rubio and they were all fine martin was was doing great but their bench was atrocious and so their their win loss you know their pythagorean win loss according to basketball reference they should have won 48 games and said they won 40 um and they, they they there was just a bunch of blown leads and a bunch of close losses and that really felt bad at the time. And I think that some of it feels a little bit that way right now. I think it's for different reasons, but I think fans are flashing back to that situation and feeling like, well, I guess we should just blow it all up, but they, sh- they shouldn't blow it all up. Yeah, right. They're, they're on the right track. They've got the yeah. right guy. Uh, so I'm anxious to see. I, it, it, it's got to be a matter of time. These guys, these guys are too good. I mean, Towns is yeah. too good. Uh, that's gonna, eventually, some of those, those bad breaks are going to fall. I mean, I'm looking at the last seven games on popcornmachine.net. And you can just see in every third quarter, this is random like 9-2 to two run or 11-4. Yeah. to four, you know? and, it's just like, and that's it. And they can't quite ever get it back. And uh, I guess that's the lesson you learn as a young player is you can't you know, that little run for the three minutes could decide the game in the third quarter and they just can't let that happen yeah i mean if they were losing a bunch of if they were losing games in a whole lot of different ways i mean there's obviously different reasons for each one of those lapses but there's fundamentally this thing that like yes they're giving up these runs and as these runs 
start, they can't stop them. Um, they had a there was the game where they blew the fourth, which I'm I'm struggling to remember who they were playing now. Um, but they were they they had fought to like a standstill in the third. They were like negative one in the third, and it was like this was a huge victory. And then I think then they came into the fourth and they were atrocious. And I think it was that thing of they had sort of gotten over the third quarter. And then they fell apart in the fourth. And so I think once they I think I think that's sort of what Thibodeau is talking about, that if they can kind of essentially fix this thing that happens where they start sort of seizing up and then they seize up worse and then they can't come back from it. Mm-hmm. If they can get past that, then they could rattle off a bunch of wins. Yeah. I, like, like I always tell players, it's like you can't shoot the ball any harder. Right. You can't like I'm going to play this position harder. Like you said, you can't yes. shoot it any harder. In fact, it's got to be the other way. It's got to be loose and relaxed and all that. Yeah. stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, right. That's experience. It's that's age is all those things, which uh, I wish I had a lot more. I wish I wish I was a lot uh, uh, younger and inexperienced. It'd be like feel a lot better. I'm sure. How about you? Sure. I, <laughs> hey, I could always go for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I want to I want some life lessons again. I want to go back to that. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah. I've had too many already. So. Um, well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Always a pleasure. We don't, we never talk enough, uh, you know, right. and, and I would love to, let's keep, let's keep talking. Let's do it, man. All right, cool. Well, find, you can find Steve. Tell us where we find you. It's, you made it pretty, uh, pretty easy on Twitter. Just let us know where we can find you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, Steve Venturous. Uh, it's like adventurous, except with Steve in front of it. Uh, that's how I came up with that, I guess. Uh, but I came up with that long before I ever used Twitter a lot. So, yes. so who knows, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, find me there. That's where I post all my stuff. So Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Wolf Among Wolves, Rolling Stone, uh, 1500 on the radio. Uh, great stuff. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Steve? I am totally in. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.